Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me is a special guest who will be in the hot seat for the next 30 minutes. Her name is Trudy Krischer, and you already know me, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, the podcast founder and host of GEMS. But let me tell you a little bit more about Trudy. Trudy Krischer has a reputation as a trailblazer in writing and speaking out about sensitive issues surrounding self-identity, race, and gender through her fictional works. Similar to her protagonist, Maggie, from Spite Fences and Pert from Kinship, Krischer grew up in the South, born in Macon, Georgia, in 1948, and she was raised in South Florida. As y'all know, Florida is the sunshine state. It doesn't take much to get her inspired, says Krishna. Usually, I want to write about people who are living out the questions on her mind. In each of her books, Krishna wrestles with difficult questions that each of her heroines needs to face. For Spite Fences, Maggie Pooh asks herself, why do people try to wall each other out with fences? And then Judy is Trudy is also the recipient of an International Reading Association Award. Her books have been named ALA, Best Books for Young Adults, a Jefferson Cup Honor Book of the Virginia Library Association, a Parents' Choice Honor Book, a winner of the Tennessee Volunteer State Book Award and the Amelia Bloomer Project Recommended Books and More. So without further ado, let's welcome the woman behind it all, Trudy Krishner. Krischer. Welcome, thank Trudy. <laughs> welcome to you. And thank you so much, Genesis, for having me. Um, I'm just thrilled that you wanted to interview me and let me talk a little bit about my books and about myself. Um, I think I need to push something that will keep me from blocking my face. Okay, there we go. You can you see me? You can see me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. That was a lovely introduction. And um, I'm ready to go. Okie dokie. So y'all we are going to dive in. And you know, one thing that I always like to do is I like my audience to be able to connect with the guests in a fun and personal way. So Trudy, there are two options we can do. You could choose an icebreaker or a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? <laughs> I'll do the first one. Okay, I'll do the first one. We're breaking the ice with Trudy. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself. Oh my goodness. Well, I'll tell you what, I am not really all that crazy. I have lived a very um, sedate, normal kind of life. Um, but the craziest thing I think I ever did was when I was 70 years old, 70. 
I'm a lot older than you. When I was 70 years old, I put on my best sneakers and I got on a bus in Dayton, Ohio, and I went to the Women's March on Washington. And by the time I was 75, I had finished writing a book about the March on Washington and what it meant to women all over the world. So you can still do things when you're old. <laughs> that is amazing. And I don't like to say old. I like to say season. So whenever I am in the company of someone who's older than me, I like to say, oh, you're seasoned because I like that. <laughs> depending on who you're talking to, they get um, a little antsy if you call them old. And I always believe in having conversation with people who are older than you because they've been around the block a few times. So there's a lot of wisdom nuggets that they could share with you that you may not be privy of. And it's also good to see different perspectives and vantage points when a millennial such as myself engages with someone who is a lot older or more seasoned than they are. And you can see how things may have changed or how there's similarities, but just in different contexts. Mm -hmm. And with you um, doing something at 70, which now you are older than 70 and you're still going. I'm uh, going. Sharp whippersnapper, uh, lots of life and doing a lot of incredible things. I know you wrote a book um, and we're going to unpack that because you just mentioned the March on Washington and the name of your book is on the March. So can you hold up your book and let's unpack that. Can you see it okay? Uh, yes. Yeah, so pull it back a little bit and okay. And then just drop it down and move it to the left side so we can see your face and the book at the same time. Oh, oh, there we are. That's yes. great. Well, I love the cover. And one of the reasons why I love the cover is the book is about celebrating sisterhood, especially diversity. And you'll notice there are old, young, you know, black, white. There's a woman in the bottom that's in a wheelchair. So that was one of the things that made the Women's March so powerful was that people from everywhere, they call it intersectional, which means different you know, genders, different races, different religions, and uh, different people from different economic backgrounds. So I love this cover because it captures kind of that intersectional spirit of the march. And I guess one of the things I have to say is I've written a lot of historical fiction and my favorite quote is by William Faulkner. He said, the past is really not dead. In fact, it's not even past. And if you look at what's happened just recently with the decision on Roe v. Wade, we see that women's issues, they've been going on for hundreds of years. So we went on a march, but we're gonna have to keep marching you know, if we care about women's rights. So that's kind of what I have to say about that. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing um, the cover of the book. And I know that's your proof copy that you just shared. I do like the intentionality behind the cover of your book. The vibrant, vibrant turquoise color, the blue mm -hmm. um, is calming. But I also like how you're promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, and 
belonging on the cover of your book, not just having different races, but you also have different forms of way that you're including people. And I love that you included someone um, from that has um, that is wheelchair bound, or some people say able body versus yeah. disabled or et cetera, because it's so important to relate to people, how they choose to be addressed and not how we think they should be addressed. And if I could just hold up my book, you'll see that there's diversity, equity, and inclusion on the cover of my book. And my book is entitled chocolate drop in corporate America from the pit to the palace. So you and I are both in the vein of things when we're talking about diversity based on the cover of our books. And I think um, talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not just one person, but it's all of us linking arms together to push the narrative further and create a movement because it's not just a one and done thing. It's a movement that we're curating in order for us to be the change that we want to see. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I uh, had the book cover made but I, they didn't have a person in a wheelchair on the cover. And I said, that has to be there because that was part of the inspiration for my book. I went to the March on Washington, but one of the reasons I went is that there was something that the candidate, Mr. Trump did during his election that hurt my heart. Um, he made fun of a reporter who was disabled. And he he mocked him. He 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 you know made made him made him look uncoordinated. It was it was very painful for me to see, because um, I had a daughter who had been in cancer treatment as a child, and she lost her hair. She's a strong, tough girl. She survived, but people mocked her. People uh, made fun of her. People bullied her, and I hate bullying. And that was one of the reasons why I went on the march is I wanted to stand up for everybody, but especially for people who had been bullied. So the, the, the novel is not about bullying, but that was kind of the inspiration for it. So anyway. I love that because then you, you gave us a glimpse of what sparked the inspiration behind the book. And I can really resonate with hating bullying because I was a victim of bullying in high school. And that led me to going um, through a depression. And this was over 10 years ago. But yeah. then I quickly learned during that um, period of my life that it's not what people call you, but it's what you choose to answer to. And if you don't know who you are, you're going to become a victim of what people want you to be or what society is trying to depict you as. And what really helped me um, was just having um, love and support from my parents who are who were both religious as well as spiritual. My dad um, is no longer with us. He passed in November of 2020, but those sentiments and what I went through helped me become the woman that I am now because had I not gone through the dark seasons in my life, I wouldn't have the empathy, the compassion, and yeah. the relatability for someone else who is you know, struggling with either being bullied or they're struggling with the fact that they may not look like everyone else in the room, or they're struggling with the fact to really identify as who they are as a person and why they truly matter. Yeah, and you know, I use the word victim, and I think it's so important to fight back against that. In my book, um, 
these women, they don't want to be victims. They are going on the march because they want to pronounce the importance of sisterhood and working together across all kinds of lines. And so it's the opposite of victimhood. They really are trying to be empowered and they did such a wonderful job with that march. It's the biggest march they ever had in history. And um, so anyway, that was it was inspiring for me to write it. And I've had some really good reviews that have said that it's powerful, moving, insightful, and promotes this sense of sisterhood. So, and you know, what? one of the things that happens after the march, it was a powerful experience, but after the march, people came home and they wondered what it was um, they were gonna do now. And lots of women ran for public office. Lots of women started nonprofits. Uh, somebody like me wrote a book. And um, so I really believe that those kinds of, uh, that kind of activism does make a difference in the world. Sometimes it's hard to see the difference it makes, but if everybody's sitting down, nothing's happening. So we all got to learn how to stand up. Absolutely. And I would tell people, I am no longer a victim. I am a victor and I'm creating my own narrative and writing my own story. And when you have the power to do that, it's because you have empowered yourself and someone else has came along to light your torch or spark something inside of you for that ignition to really take place. And if you think about igniting, whenever we turn on the burner for a gas stove, it has to go through the ignition process in order for the flames to burn. So I tell people, what is causing you to burn and fuel your fuel your flames or um, pan your fire. And Judy, I know you alluded that you are a little over 70 now, but I kind of want to dive a little bit into your background. What was it like for you growing up back then? And how do you think the world is changing um, when it comes to making progress towards diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Because I know you mentioned if you had a brand, it will be all about social justice. Uh -huh. And the way that people grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is totally different than what we see now. And another person who was recently on the podcast not too long ago said, history does not repeat, it rhymes. And when he said that, I was like, that's very profound. So from someone who is seasoned, can you give us a glimpse in, into your background and how has it made you an advocate today and the woman you are? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, I grew up in the Jim Crow South. Um, back in the 1960s. And my first memory of racism and Jim Crow was when I was probably about in second or third grade. My mother had taken me downtown to buy new school shoes. Now, they didn't have malls in those days, Genesis. And you went downtown to the department store on the bus and you got off and you went to the shoe department. And I remember having a new pair of shoes to start every school year. So that's what we were doing. And I must've gotten thirsty and I went over to the water fountains and one said white and one said colored. Well, I immediately went to the colored one because I thought the water might be pink 
or purple or, you know, way more interesting than white. And my mother said to me, um, no, um, you go to this one and not that one. And that was my first inkling of separate. And when I was 14, my school was integrated for the very first time peacefully. But I remember thinking, what is the fuss about all this? Because everybody needs an education. Everybody needs a decent school. So, you know, that was formative for me. And um, when I was in college, I um, worked, took a job at a, in one summer between college um, years, I took a job in a Head Start program. It was in Richmond, Virginia. And I went to go to work and I realized for the very first time, I was the only white person in the whole building. Everybody else was African-American. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I thought maybe this is how it feels to be someone different. And the kids were very young and they would come up, they'd wanna to touch my skin. You know, they hadn't seen that much of a white person. And that was very eye-opening to me. And I do think things are better, that things have changed, but I don't think they're, they're, not, they're not where we need things to be. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my background, so. Wow, and thank you for, for sharing that because I could relate. So my first um, experience with racism, being a millennial was actually um, in, in my 20s. I'm now in my early 30s, even though I don't look like it. You don't, and you could be 16, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and it was when I was going out with um, my old boss and her and I um, built a relationship and we had went out to, I think we were eating lunch or something. It was either lunch or we either went to a happy hour and I, I was driving us and someone pulled up and they hit the front of my car. And at first it wasn't a big deal because accidents do happen. I know maybe you gave it wow. a little bit more gas or whatnot, but it was the principle of the situation. So I just said, Hey, you just hit my car. And I got out to make sure there was no damage. There was no damage. The license plate was, was bent a little bit, but that's like materialistic. And I just remember the lady, she was also a minority. She was Latin or Hispanic origin. And she said, you effing N word. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like I was just taking back because at the end of the day, we're both women. Then we're both minority women. And for her to say that just kind of took me back. And I remember um, crying about it because I am from a diverse background. So both of my parents are non-American. My dad was from Curacao and my mom is from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So she's West Indian, Caribbean descent. And our family is very mixed. My dad's mother was half white, half black. Mm -hmm. My mother's family is mixed. Um, they have like Indian descent and et cetera in it. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at my siblings, they are married to people that are outside of their races, at least two of them. So one of my in-laws um, is Indian descent. My sister's kids are half Indian, Indian, like across the ocean, or you, you don't mean Native American Indian. 
not Native American Indian, okay. More, okay. Uh, Trinidadian and Guyanese, but Indian okay. descent. Um, okay. Then my sister's kids are half half white, so they're Caucasian. And my oldest brother, his children are truly African-American. Their mother's from Cameroon. And for those of you listening, that is in Africa. So close to Nigeria. <laughs> um, so I tell people, our family is like the United Nation, a melting pot in, its, in itself. So having gone through that at a young age was an eye opener. And I can't say I understand what someone who grew up in the South during Jim Crow laws resonates or someone who went through slavery or et cetera. I could just say what I have witnessed in yeah. my personal story. So, um, but I am here to listen and drive conversations to see what it was like from someone's perspective and vantage point yeah. going through that situation. And I think when we can have empathy and compassion around that, then we are able to push the needle forward with the work that you're doing, Trudy, when it comes to social justice and, you know, fighting for equality because all of us have a piece of the puzzle to share. And when we share that piece of the puzzle, we see a beautiful masterpiece taking place. But if we are more focused on the differences versus the commonalities and the similarities, then all we're doing is creating more, more polarization and driving a wedge in society. And we already have wedges between political, where people are one way. We have wedges with race. People are one way. We now have wedges with sexual identity. People are one way. And now there's a big push for certain things that you can and cannot say because people who are identified as something similar, they feel excluded versus included. So there's so many ways of people being polarized. Yeah. But if, if we would just have like a candid conversation like you and I are doing today, Trudy, I think it would make the world a better place. Because I like to say united we stand and divided we fall. I agree. Very much so. Somehow the last line of my novel is called Spite Fences. And the last line is somehow we're all kin. So that somehow we're all related. You know, we're different colors, we're di different economic, you know, but as human beings, we are related to each other. And when one fails, everyone fails, you know, and when one succeeds, it feels like everybody can succeed. So that's sort of my, my two cents. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll just put it a little bit further or, or add on to that. So you and I, you're vanilla, I'm chocolate. And I like to say vanilla and chocolate because my book is called Chocolate Drop. And well, they go good <laughs> together. Yes. And if you get cut, Trudy, or if I get cut, we all bleed red. Mm -hmm. If we both go into the operating room, we both have the same organs. We have a heart, we have liver, we have kidney, gallbladder, and all of those things. So the only thing that makes us different is our outward appearance. But mm -hmm. inwardly, we are the same. So why are we allowing the outward difference to drive a wedge and separate us? And I just think it's a product of people's environment and how someone grows up. But just because you grew up in an environment that is not conducive to how you want to act and relate does not mean you need to carry that on. You can be the barrier breaker 
you can be the one to break those generational ties and you can be the one to go against the grain of salt and challenge the status quo in order to show how you are embracing human abilities and putting that back in humanity. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Well, you know, I, I, one of the things that happens in, in my book uh, on the march, I purposely have the three main characters are very different. One is an older white woman. Another is a young African-American. And the third one is a clueless uh, millennial. She cares about her coffee, her dog, and her phone. She doesn't know why she's going on the march. But then I have these three very different women sitting together on the bus as they travel from Kansas to Washington, D.C. And what they think is when they start out, they think about they're so different from each other. But as they begin to talk and get to know each other, they uncover kind of secret reasons why they need to go on the march and they realize what they have in common rather than what their differences are. So it's, it's I think it's kind of cool myself, but I wrote it. So, you know, I'm prejudiced, but I like that. I, I like that idea of throwing different people together and letting them then figure out how they can learn to appreciate each other, you know? So anyway. I like that. And I don't know why it made me think about the movie Forrest Gump, because oh, I thought yes. about the chocolate seed. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> and it's, it. so, it's so true, because when you get those assortment box of chocolates, sometimes they don't always tell you what's inside the chocolate. So you have to take a bite out of it in order to see. And I and the reason why I say that this, y'all, audience, follow me. Sometimes you have to go beyond the surface level with the individual to understand who they are at, at its core. But if you are making preconceived notions, unconscious biases, and you are judging a book by its cover, you're not really getting to know that person for who they are individually because you're already formulating something in your mind that may or may not be true about that individual just uh -huh. based on your um, your hypothesis about that individual or how you perceive them. But if you really are intentional and go beyond the surface level with that individual, you'll get to know there may be some similarities that you share. You may like the same genre of music. You may like the same um, type of food. You may like the same color. You may um, have went to the same college, but never even interacted with one yeah. another or et cetera. So my challenge for the audience today is let's stop judging people and let's start being intentional and having conversations with other people who may look different from us and see how can we build together and kick this narrative that society is trying to paint to the curb in order for us to make long lasting change. And Trudy, I wanna be respectful of your time. So I'm gonna ask one other question and then we're gonna jump into the call to action. So I know living out and writing about the questions on your mind 
what are three tips that you would share with someone who needs to live out their life and write questions that are on their personal mind? Oh, gosh. That's a really hard thing. Um, I'll tell you what I think is important, and it's not easy. But I think it's important for each person to try to figure out what their purpose is or what their gift is. You know, maybe you're not athletic, but, you know, maybe you're a good artist. Uh, maybe you don't do well in school, but you're, you're great with your hands. You're mechanical. Um, I think you need to find out what your purpose is through your gifts. And then the second thing is you need to share that with the world. So I would say that would be a bit of advice I would give. And another piece of advice that has served me very well, um, people are afraid to be vulnerable. I don't know if it's fear that drives them. I don't know if it's their background that drives them. But if you let your guard down and let people know who you are, they're likely to return the favor and let their guard down and let you know who they are. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I'd give as advice that's not worth a lot, but that's what I've learned over the years. Yeah, it definitely does um, answer the question because those are some great wisdom nuggets that anyone um, can gravitate to knowing your purpose. And that means you need to understand your why and get crystal clear on your why. Also being able to connect with, connect with other people. Then also just being vulnerable and transparent because people are going to resonate with you more when you're authentic, not when you have a mask or you're trying to uphold some type of facade in order to keep up with the Jones or fit in with the new trends. People are really going to connect with knowing who you are, not just mm -hmm. on on the forefront or behind the scenes, but whenever they can see that you're the same person that you portray online as offline, that's authenticity. So yeah. Trudy, what is your call to action for the audience today? Oh my gosh, I call to action for the audience. I would say discover your gifts and link them to your purpose and then share those gifts with the world. Now, as far as social justice goes, do something to make the world a little better. Help a neighbor, uh, contribute to your food bank. Um, it doesn't have to be anything big. It can be something small. But I think about the world as kind of being built up sort of like a coral reef, just a little piece by a little piece. And then if each of us does something, you know, a little bit each day, you know, I think it makes a difference. That would be my call to action. I would say, don't be afraid to make it something grand. You don't have to run for president. Um, you can help your neighbor. And um, there's always opportunities to do those things. So that would be my call to action. How's that sound? It sounds amazing because everyone, everyone can do that call to action. And for those who are interested in connecting with you further, plug your website and share where you primarily hang out on social media. 
Okay. Do I write, type it in or? Oh, no, no. Just say it okay. out loud. I'll have okay. all the info in the show notes. Okay. Well, Facebook, I, I'm in uh, face, Trudy Krischer author is my site on Facebook. All one word, Trudy Krischer author. And I have a website. It's www.trudycrisher.com. It's pretty easy. Amazing. So there you have it, audience. I will have Trudy's information in our show notes. So all you have to do is read, scroll on down, and you'll see her website as well as the link to her Facebook. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and follow. We're on 40 plus platforms. So there is somewhere for everybody to listen. And for those of you wanting to watch the video, it will be posted on our YouTube channel, which is GEMS, G-E-M-S, with Genesis Amaris Kemp. And lastly, but not least, I want to thank each one of you for supporting on a consistent basis. We are currently ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts. And you could check the metrics by going to www.listennotes.com. And we are looking for paid, um, paid slots for sponsors. So if you want to have your brand, your product, and your services heard right here, Go to genesisamarskemp.net and click on the podcast tab to learn more info or send me a personalized email to genesisamarskemp at gmail.com to learn how you can become a brand sponsor because we are here to put out content that is educational, inspirational, and motivational while we also intersect the dots of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So until the next segment, next guest, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, gems with genesis mars kemp we would love for you to be a sponsor so please reach out via email at gems g-e-m-s with w-i-t-h genesis g-e-n-e-s-i-s amaris a-m-a-r-i-s kemp k-e-m-p at gmail.com where your brand your swag Your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.